0: Let's go ahead and get started. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we are going to be in verses 1 through 4. Um, now, as, as many of you know, we've been going through 1 Corinthians since January of 2016, and we come to the very last chapter. And, and I made a cursory read through it a couple weeks ago, and I thought, well, that, that there's not much there. Um, I'll probably blitz through that in about a week or two. And then I get to the first four verses, and I'll probably be here three weeks. I I I, I just, it, it amazes me. I was talking to Scooter this week. I have read this passage a thousand times. But when I really stopped and studied it, it, I just saw things I had never seen before. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. When you just take your time to study it, you'll see things that, that you've never seen before. Now that's the... Well, that's good news. The bad news is this morning is I'm going to talk about your money. The title of our lesson this morning is Now Concerning the Collection. Now Concerning the Collection. Now, when it comes to theology and and a glimpse into the future, we just finished one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. If you were here with us the last few weeks, we talked about, it was just an incredible chapter to study. The 15th chapter of Corinthians it talks about the resurrection. It talks about the voice of God calling the dead out of the graves. It, it, it talks about the day the trumpet is going to sound. It talks about the day that our bodies become like Jesus Christ, the day that heaven becomes our, our reality. Uh, just this past week, I got a call Friday from a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, but we kind of got out of touch, and he called me Friday, and he said, I'm dying. Um, I, I've just got a few weeks to live, and I'm gonna go up this afternoon and spend some time with him. And and I'm I'm sad, but at the same time I'm excited. He's a man of God, and he he knows where he's going, and his body's gonna be changed. He's he's I'm excited for him, and a lot of that comes out of the last few weeks that we've studied this wonderful chapter of First Corinthians. And then Paul says after this high theology that you're way up here. Paul says now. Concerning the collection, right? And in other words, you're way up here talking about these this incredible truths, and then all of a sudden you come right back down to where you live every single day. Now, when you think about it though, that really is a, a beautiful illustration of how Scripture works. You see, the fact is when you go through Scripture, Scripture always gives us glimpses into the future but it gives us glimpses into the future so we'll be responsible in the here and now for example i'll give you one of the i'll give you two or three examples of this in second peter 3:11 through 12 peter says this he's talking about the destruction of the heavens and the earth and he said there's coming a day when this heaven and this earth is going to be passed away and then he says this since all these things are to be dissolved you see that's the glimpse into the future then he says this what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. He said, if all that's going to happen, what sort of people are you should you be today? He, he's calling you to responsibility today. In 1 John, John says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. That's the glimpse into the future. And then John turns immediately and says, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. He says, if you're going to be like Jesus one day, then why don't you start today? Why don't you purify yourself today? Start walking like Him and talking like Him and acting like Him today. So that glimpse into the future is calling us to a responsibility in the here and now. And of course, we just saw this... Last week in chapter 15, we just said he gave us a glimpse into the future of our resurrection. And the whole reason was to encourage us to live our life here with with a different perspective. You remember in the very last verse of that uh, great chapter last week, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters... In other words, I've just given you 57 verses talking about the resurrection. I've revealed to you all these mysteries of what's going to happen to you in the future. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay, so he this is what he's doing. They're giving us a glimpse into the future so that we can be responsible in the here and now. And then Paul turns immediately, immediately, to chapter 16, and this is what he says. Let's read the first four verses. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem, if it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me now. Right about now, you're wondering how in the world is he going to spend two weeks on on, on two verses talking about uh, collections? Well, you know me; I can I can I can go on and on. So let's start here. What collection is Paul even talking about? So let me give you a little background and, and a little history here. Now I want you to keep in mind that poverty during that day was a very real issue. Uh, there were a lot of poor people. And I don't mean poor like we have in the United States. Our culture and our society knows very little about real poverty, okay? We just we just don't know that. We have a country that has a welfare system. Uh, we we have a, a lot of ways that we take care uh, of poor people. But the problem was in that day is there was no welfare system, just as there is in, in, in other countries around us today. Um, the poverty and the poor uh, were not taken care of by government assistance or, or or government programs. If you were poor, you were on your own. If you were born blind, there was no program to help you. If you were handicapped you couldn 't walk there was no no program to help you. You were on your own. you begged you did anything you could to get by but 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 poverty then was a very, very real issue now there were People that tried to help. Uh, for example, among the Greeks, there were these uh, associations. These people would get together and form these charitable associations. And they would do things like give out low-interest loans to people whose maybe house had burned down or something like that. Or or they would even give gifts to the needy. So, they, so there were charitable organizations, but they could only do uh, so much. The same was true not only with the pagan Greeks... But it was also true with the Jews. Every synagogue in a village or a city, uh, had a group of men who would take certain money that was set aside for the needy, and they were responsible for distributing those funds to, to needy and poor people. They would try to take care of their own. But again, they could only do so, so much, right? I mean, they, they weren't the government. They, they didn't have access to, to everybody. So even in that society, it was common for Pagan Greeks and Jews to try to meet the needs of their own poor. Now, the church comes along and, and you would agree the church could do no less, right? If you're gonna go out preaching a theology of love, how would it look if you, if you were doing less than even society was doing? In fact, the church should be, should be doing more. Now, let me say here that nothing has changed today. From back then, when it comes to our responsibility as a church to give and to share what we have, absolutely nothing has changed. Now, yes, we live in a society, in a country where there's a welfare system, okay? And and they take care of a lot of the needs of our poor people. And let me say this about the welfare system, all right? Listen, I know there's a lot of problems with it. We agree? There's a lot of people taking advantage of it. Do we agree? But I'm still going to tell you it's a good thing. If without it, there are people who really need help who would not have help. So it's good that we live in a country. Yes, it's going to be abused. You put anything good out there, somebody will abuse it. But the fact is, it's still a good thing. You go down to countries like Mexico, and you'll see people living out of cardboard boxes. You'll see real poverty because nobody's taking care of them. So that is a, a good thing. But there are times, even in our society, when the government can't do enough to help somebody or, or somebody doesn't want a government handout, when those times arise, we as a church should do the same thing the church has done for 2,000 years. And that is we should be ready and eager to help. Okay, because that's what we are called to, to do. This has always been part of the church. If you go back to Galatians 2, 9 and 10, you remember, uh, Paul has been saved. He, he's been in, the uh, in Arabia and that area of Damascus for, for a few years and he decides to go to Jerusalem to meet the, the, the apostles there. And it says this, and when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they would go to the Jews only They ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So from the very beginning of the church, the apostles said, remember the poor in your ministry. Remember the poor in your churches. Remember the poor as you go out and about. So that has always been a big part of what the church has done. It's always been a big part of of Paul's ministry. So that is exactly what Paul did, as evidenced by his statement in today's passage. Paul is taking up a collection for the poor. Amongst the churches. Now, he's doing it specifically for one church, and that is the Christians in Jerusalem. Now, here's another question. Why was the poverty among the saints in Jerusalem so bad? Why what What was it about the church in Jerusalem that they would have to take up a collection among these other churches specifically for that church? Because they were very, very poor. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that just comes out and says... This is why the church in Jerusalem needed help, or this is why the church in Jerusalem was so poor. But if you if you read Paul's letters and you study a little bit of history, it becomes pretty clear why there was such poverty there. And there's really four reasons. Number one, Jerusalem itself was really a poor city. Okay, It wasn't like Rome. It may have been a great city once in the times of Solomon, But by the time Jesus and Paul come along, Jerusalem is not a rich city. It is a fairly poor city. It doesn't have a lot of rich people like they do in Rome that could hire poor people. Uh, It's a fairly uh, poor city itself. The second reason the church was in such dire straits in that area was because the explosion of the church. Everybody remember on the day of Pentecost, the city of Jerusalem is filled with pilgrims. These are Jews that have come from other countries and other lands and they come to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? Well, the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost. Peter goes out preaching in the streets and literally thousands of people are saved on that first day. And can you imagine? I'm sure many of those people never went back home, right? I mean, listen, I, I, I'm, they already left their home to come to Jerusalem because they're very religious and all of a sudden they, they've met the Messiah. They've gotten saved. They don't go home because there's no church to go to. They want to stay there with the church. And in fact, we see this all throughout the, the book of Acts. For example, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 says this, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all who believed were together and had all things in common." You see, these people that stayed, they didn't have jobs, would they? They didn't have houses, they, where, how were they going to get by? What did they do? They stayed with other people. They ate with other people. They, 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 they stayed in their homes. And in fact, watch what happens. It says this, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So you had Christians who had people staying with them and they literally would have to sell a hog or sell a sheep. Well, they wouldn't sell a hog because they were Jews, but they would sell a sheep, right? They would sell a sheep or they'd sell a quilt they had made. They'd sell their possessions in order to, to feed these people that were staying with them. So you've got all these people. And, and by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, things get more difficult. Now they're not just selling... Their, their sheep are selling their quilts. They're selling their homes and their lands. Look at Acts 4, 34-36. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So by the time you move along, they're starting to have to sell their houses. They're starting to have to sell their land to, to have enough to feed everybody. And, and they're happy to do it. They got no problem with it. But the fact is, you can see it's getting a little bit more difficult. But you understand, that can't go on forever, can it? After a while, you're going to run out of things to to sell. And as a church moves through the book of Acts, you would see a continuing drain on their resources. And eventually, they would come to the place where they didn't have anything else to sell. They didn't have any other way to to get money, and they would need help from other churches in, in the cities. So the explosion of the church in Jerusalem contributed to its poverty. Another thing that contributed to the poverty was persecution. Remember, the vast majority of Christians in Jerusalem are Jews, right? And, and Jerusalem is a Jewish city. So once you got saved, you were an outcast. Nobody would hire you anymore. Moms and dads, providers in the homes are getting arrested. So there's you know the dad gets arrested, and all of a sudden there's, there's nobody to, to, to make money for the home. And by the way if you got in dire straits and you went to the synagogue for help, they wouldn't help you because they don't consider you a Jew anymore. So now you can see what's going on. And and by the way, reread this in Acts chapter 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So you can see, not only is the church exploding, now people are getting arrested, they're getting thrown in prison... And there's nobody to take... All of a sudden, they've even got more poverty. They've got more needs in in the church. One final thing that contributed, we forget about a lot, is there was a famine during that time. You remember in Acts chapter 11, it says this, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up, and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this famine took place in the days of Claudius. Now, Claudius was the emperor of Rome. He reigned from 41 to 54 A.D. So this is right in the middle of the time of the church's growth in, in Jerusalem. So you've got, you've got Jerusalem's already a poor city. You've got this explosion of people. And then you've got persecution and you've got famine. And so this all contributed to the fact that there was a lot of, of poverty in Jerusalem. There just, there just wasn't enough food, there wasn't enough places to stay, so the, the, the church was in, in really bad need. So, so Paul will spend over a year, and he writes about this in his other letters, for example, in the, in the letter to the Galatians. Paul will spend over a year collecting money, from the churches and he's writing to the Corinthians because he wants them to contribute. He says now concerning the collection. Now this is this is not probably the first time that they've heard about it. You remember when we started in Corinthians, I told you that Paul is writing this letter in a response to a letter from them. They have written a letter to Paul and they said, "Hey, we got a lot of problems in the church. We got people suing one another. We got we got this man who's having relations with his father's wife. We've got people who saying they're not going to get married anymore. And they, they got all these questions that they're writing to Paul. And so Paul writes First Corinthians to answer a lot of these questions. And one of the questions they probably had had questions about." or one of the issues they had questions about was this money that Paul wanted them to collect. How do we collect it? How how should this be handled? Okay, so this is why he's he's writing to them. So what Paul is doing in today's passage is he's giving them instruction on how how to handle that collecting of the money that's going to go to the saints in Jerusalem. Now, in doing so, he is going to lay out five principles, okay? And it turns out these five principles form a very good basis for giving even for the church today. Now, when we read it a while ago, you're thinking, well, I didn't see five principles in there. Listen, I didn't either until I just stopped and slowed down and said, Paul, what are you you saying here? So what we're going to do today is we're going to go over these five principles. We'll get through four of them today, and then we'll cover the next one uh, next week. So the five questions or the five issues that Paul is going to address with regard to giving is this. First of all, where do we give? He's going to talk about why do we give. He's going to cover when do we give, who is to give, and then he's going to tell us how much we are to give. Okay. We'll cover the the, why, the where, the why, the when, and the who today, and then we'll save the how much. We'll get, let you get your breath this week, and then we'll, we'll cover how much next week. Okay. So we're going to cover these four principles today. The first one is this. The purpose of giving. This is the why. What is the purpose of giving? Look at verse 1. Paul says, "...now concerning the collection..." And what's those three words? "...for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do." The collection, first and foremost, was for the saints. It's for the church. Now listen, as you go through the New Testament, and you study the New Testament you're going to find again and again and again that the primary purpose for the church's money is to come back to the church. Okay, You're going to see that over and over and over again. R- remember, in Acts chapter 2, they sold stuff, right? What were they doing with it? They were sharing it. They were taking care of one another. We saw that in Acts 2. We saw it in Acts 4. By the time you get to Acts chapter 6, they're, they're taking care of the widows. There's widows in the church and they're taking the money and they're, and they're taking care of the widows. The, the, the primary reason that we take up money here in the church is to support the needs of the, of the church. In other words, the church gives to support itself. The church invests in its own life. It invests in its own people. It, it's involved in meeting its own needs. Now listen to me. I am not saying, please understand this, I'm not saying that we are to have nothing to do with meeting needs of the people on the outside. That's not what I'm saying. We all know the story of the Good Samaritan, do we not? I'm not saying that at all, okay? What I am saying is that primarily, first and foremost, the church is to take care of its own people, okay? Scripture is very clear on that. I'll give you one, Galatians 6.10. This is Paul. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but what? especially to those who belong to the family of believers. In other words, first and foremost, you take care of believers. You take care of your own. Then if you have opportunity to do do it outside, that's fine. You should take advantage of those opportunities. But especially, first and foremost, you take care of those inside the family of believers. And that's what Paul is doing. He's taking up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to notice something, though. The Corinthians are taking up a collection, but who is it for? It's for another church, right? See, one of the things that we see is as we take up collections, for example, here at River of Life, we don't just use that money for River of Life. In other words, it's not just for the local assembly or the local congregation. We are a church with a little c, right? But there is a church out there with a big c that we are all part of. So as 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 part of that universal church with the big sea, we, we meet needs anywhere. This is why we send money to other ministries. This is why we give money to missionaries. This is why we send money overseas because part of the money, part of the collection is not just taking care of, of believers here at River of Life, but it's taking care of believers all over the world. And that's exactly what Paul is modeling here. You guys here in Corinth, take up the money. We're going to send it because there's a need in Jerusalem. Okay, so it's not just about a local assembly. It's about the church with a capital C. All right, let's get to a couple others. The period of giving, when. Now, this is something I have read a thousand times. And I told Scooter this week, I said, man, I I just saw it completely different this week. Now, watch what Paul says in verse 2. Read that with me. On the first day of every week, on the first day, Paul is very specific, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay. Now, i got a lot of questions about that. right? One of the things that I do when I study the Bible and I read something is I'll stop and ask questions. Well, Paul, why the first day of the week? Why not the second day of the week? Why not the fourth day of the week? Why not the first day of the month? Why is it every week? What, what's the, why are you, what's the big deal about the first day of the week? Well, let's talk about the first day of the week. The normal day for the church to meet is when? Sunday, which is the first day of the week. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, the, 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 the Sabbath was a Saturday. It was the, it was on the seventh day that God did what? He rested. So the seventh day, the Sabbath, was set aside. But the church meets on the first day of the week. Now the question is, where did the change occur? Well, it all goes back to John chapter 20. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews. You see, what happened is Jesus rose on the first day of the week. He rose on a Sunday. And that day became such a great day for Christians. It it became... I mean, the Savior is alive. The first day of the week became the day that they they met on on Sunday. It became the pattern or it became the standard for the church to meet on the first day of the week, not on a Saturday. And by the way, 2,000 years have gone by and we still follow that pattern, do we not? We still meet on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Now... Here's the question. Why would Paul say that we are to set aside money on a Sunday? Why would he say that we're to set aside Monday, uh, money on the first day of the week? Well, here's why I believe he's saying this. I believe he wants us to do that because that is the day of worship. And how you handle your money, whether you like this or not, is inextricably tied in with your worship. Okay? Now, there may be some people here who say, you know what, Derek, that's not how I do it. I, I don't give once a week or once a month. What I do is I just wait till the end of the year, and I wait and see how much, all my, how much money I got, and, then I, and I crunch all the numbers, and I just write out one check. I just do it once a year. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If, if you do that, I'm going to tell you, I believe you're being disobedient to the principle that Paul is laying down here. You see, to Paul, it was important that he say, I want you to do it weekly. Not yearly, not once a year, but I want you to do it weekly. Now, why? What, what's going on here that, that, that Paul is talking about? You see, when, when, you, when you if you only deal with your money once a year, let's say you're somebody here and you just say, I write one check a year to the church and I'm done with it. But here's the problem with that. If you do that, then you're only dealing with the stewardship of your money, what? One time, and God wants you to deal with it every day. Let me, let me give you an example. This will help you. What if I said to you, guys, I know y'all might pray every day, but that's not how I do it. I just wait till the, de- December, and then I just sit down in December, and I just pray all my prayers and get them all done and out of the way. Now let me ask you a question. Is that what you think God wants? What if I said to you, I know, what, I know how you guys work. I know y'all read this book every day or every other day, but that's not how I do it. What I do is in January, I sit down and I read that book all the way through and I'm done for the year. Right? Now let me ask you, do you really think that's what God wants? Do you just read this through one time and set it aside for the other 11 months? Yes or no? Okay. Now let me ask you a question. Why would you think giving your money is any different? Do you really think God wants you to just write one check a year and be done with it? Or do you think He wants, to deal, you, want, he wants you to deal with your money on a constant basis? You see what Paul's getting at here? See, the fact is, giving of your money, just, just as one of the graces is reading and studying your Bible... Just as one of the graces is, is our prayer life, one of the graces that we're giving, the ability to do, is our giving. It's part of who we are as a Christian. It's part of our service. It's part of our worship. It's part of our, our faithfulness. In fact, whether you like this or not, it is a barometer of your spirituality. Jesus said this in Luke sixteen eleven: If you have not been faithful in unrighteous money, who will ever trust to you true riches? Think about that. Paul said, I mean, Jesus said, if you're not faithful with money, then how in the world do you think God's ever going to give you real riches? You see, that's an incredible verse. If God can't trust you with money, He can't trust you with any eternal spiritual matters. He just can't trust you. That's why our giving, the way we handle our money, is actually a barometer of how spiritual we really are. You see, folks, God wants us... And this is what Paul is laying down. God wants us to deal every week, every day, with our money. He wants us every day to deal with the fact that every dollar in your pocket, every dollar in your bank account is a stewardship entrusted to you by God. And He doesn't want you to deal with it once a year. Paul says, do it once a week. Every week, on the first day of the week, I want you to set aside. Okay? Now... And in fact, until you're dealing with that on a constant basis, until you're dealing with your money in a correct way, that's what Jesus said, I can't trust you with, with spiritual riches. So Paul is saying, you need to give every week because God wants to deal with us and the stewardship of his money on a constant basis. Everybody with me, what he's trying to say there? Now listen, I know what some of you are saying at this point. Well, now, Wait a minute, Derek. I get paid bi-weekly or I get paid monthly. Does that mean that I have to come in every Sunday and divide that up and and write a check every week? Listen, no. Don't get legalistic about it. This is a principle that he's laying out. Okay? Uh, If you want to give every two weeks, that's fine. If you want to write a check once a month, that's fine. See, that's not what Paul's teaching. Not, he's not saying be legalistic about it. What he's doing is laying out a principle that you don't just do it once a year or once every five years. You do it on a constant, regular basis. See, that's what he's doing. He's teaching a principle. We don't need to be legalistic about that. What he's saying is, let there be a constant consciousness regarding the stewardship of your money. It should something that's always on your mind. How did I spend God's money today? How did I spend God's money today? this week. And when you come to worship God on a Sunday, that should be part of our worship. In fact, let me say this. If you drop a check-in once a month, that's fine. I I don't have any problem with that. But can I tell you, that doesn't mean the other three Sundays, you just set aside money out of your mind. In fact, one of the things I think we should all do, if if you're on one of your off Sundays and they pass that, that plate by you and it's not your Sunny to give, when that plate goes by, can I tell you, you should still be thinking, how did I invest God's money this week? See, it should still be on your mind. It should still be a part of your consciousness. How do, was I a good steward of God's money this week, yes or no? See, God doesn't ever want us to say, oh, you write the check, now you're done for the rest of the month. No, that we should be thinking about it all the time. Just, like, just as we read our Bible regularly, just as we pray regularly, we should give regularly. It, it, the stewardship of God's money should always be on our mind. Now, let's turn to this. The place of giving. This is the where, all right? Let's read verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, there is a debate among Christians that asks Christians, where do we give our money? Is it okay for me to just put my money in my bank account and then as I see needs, dole it out? Or should I bring my money into the church and give it to the church? You see, there are people out there today... They think it's perfectly fine they just give and they write check to that ministry and they write checks to that ministry, or they write it to this, but they never give their money to the church, and they say it's okay. Well, what is Paul saying here? What's the principle that Paul's laying down here? Let's read it again. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, let me say this: There are a lot of questions here. Where are we to give? Are we just to keep a little bank account of our own and dole out money for needs as we see fit? Are we to give our money to various and sundry organizations? Or are we to bring our money into the church and let the church decide how it is to be spent? How are we to do it? And what is Paul saying in today's passage? What principle is he laying down? Well, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that this text and others teaches us that we are to place our money primarily in the church. Now, listen to me. There is nothing at all wrong. In fact, I hope that each of you are always looking for opportunities to do good. I hope that each one of us are always out and about on our jobs, uh, when we're out shopping, when we're out doing our hobbies or whatever we do in life. I hope you are looking for opportunities to do good. But I believe that first and foremost and primarily our giving should be to the church. I believe that's the pattern that's been laid down for us down throughout history, and I believe that's the pattern, the primary pattern of giving. Now, let me show you why. From the very earliest years of the church, as as far back as you can go, there was a pattern of giving established, and it was this. The saints would take their money, they would bring it to the church leaders and then the church leaders would distribute it as they saw fit. Okay, That was laid down very early on. In other words, the church leaders would distribute the, the money to meet the needs of the church, rather than simply every individual just giving it to whoever they thought that, that they wanted. You know. And so this pattern, by the way, is seen throughout scriptures. We already read this in Acts chapter 4. Let's read it again. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they, the apostles, distributed to each as anyone had need. So very early on, you see, they could have sold their stuff and just gave it out as they saw fit. Could they not? But they didn't. They brought it to the elders, they brought it to the apostles, they brought it to the church leaders, and the church leaders made the decisions on how that money was distributed. Now, that was a pattern that was laid down very, very early on in the book of Acts. Now, that's one reason I believe that's the way we're supposed to do it. I want to take it a little further to show you why I believe this. In today's passage, Paul, when he says that word, store up, I want each of you to store up, he uses a very specific Greek word, and that Greek word is thesaurus. And by the way, that is where we get the English word thesaurus. for a, You know what a thesaurus is? A little book's got all the words in it. Um, but that word in the Greek means treasury. Okay? Now, the word itself doesn't really tell us anything. But here's a lesson, and, and let me drive this home to you folks one more time. I say it a thousand times. You, when you open a, this Bible and you read a letter like Corinthians or Philippians or Ephesians or Galatians, you have to remember that this letter was written at a certain time by a certain man to a certain audience, and it meant a certain thing, did it not? You can't just go in and say, well, I I can just make this mean anything I want it to mean. No, when Paul's writing, he's got something he wants to get across, and he picked this word, thesaurus, which means treasury. So what did he expect them to understand? Well, if, if you go back and you read a little bit of history, you'll find out that every pagan temple, whether it was the temple of Aphrodite or the temple of Zeus or whatever, every pagan temple in that time had a, a little place you put your money. And that place was known as the thesaurus or the treasury. And so people would come into the temple and they would put their money in the thesaurus they would put their money in the treasury. By the way, guess who else did that? Anybody? The Jews did that. Don't you remember in Mark 12:41 Jesus is sitting there one day across from the treasury and his apostles, and disciples are sitting with him and he's watching the people come in. Remember that? Look at Mark 12:41 Jesus sat opposite the what? The thesaurus, the treasury, and he saw how people put their money in. And remember, there was the poor lady, all the rich guys were coming in and dumping in a lot, and she came in and put in all she had, which was half a cent. And Jesus said she, she, she gave more than the rest of them. They were putting their money in the what? The thesaurus, the treasury. So if, in that day and time, when, you, when Paul says, I want you to store up, I want you to put your money in the thesaurus... See, they had a certain, they would have understood that term in a certain way. And they would, not, they would have understood that not to put it in your own bank account. They would have understood that what is Paul is saying is the treasury is at the house of worship. That's what they were used to. That is how they would have understood that term. Okay? Further, I want you to notice something else that Paul says at the end of the verse. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, let me ask you a question. If everybody stored it up under their mattress, or they put it in a coffee can in the front yard, or wherever they put it, and all of a sudden Paul shows up one day, what's the first thing they would have had to take up? They would have had to go do a collection, would they? But what is Paul saying? I don't want there to be any collecting when I come. See, if they had put it in their own private fund, the very first thing they would have had to do is take up a collection. Everybody go home and get your money. Right? But Paul says, I don't want there to be any collection. I want it to be ready to go when I get there. You need to start doing it now. And so it's ready to go. One more thing I want you to remind you. When are they to take up the collection? First day of the week. If this is some private fund in your home, why the first day of the week? Why not the second day of the week? Or the fourth day of the week? Or any day of the week? See, that just lends itself to me. They do it on the first day of the week because that's the day they come what? Together. That's when they congregate. You see, when you put all this together, the only thing that really makes sense is that Paul wants them together on the first day of the week and he wants them to give into the treasury of the church so that money would already be there when he came. And I believe that principle still holds today. Okay? Okay. Now, the last and let me just back up to that. Again, I want to make sure everybody understands this. I, I hope everybody here it, it has got some money in their wallet. The Lord's blessed you enough that you can give to somebody when you see them in need. But I believe primarily the pattern set down in the New Testament is that we bring our money into the church and we allow the church to decide how that money is used. That was laid down from the very beginning, and I believe that's the pattern that Paul is, is teaching here. Um, Okay, the last thing we're going to cover today, which is very easy, and that is the participants in giving. Verse 2 again. On the first day of every week, what's those three words? Each of you. Now, let me tell you, that means the exact same in Greek that it does in English. Each of you means, there's no mystery there, it means what? Each of you. Nobody's exempt. Nobody's exempt. I don't care if you're the richest of the rich or you're the poorest of the poor. Each of you put aside. Now, Paul says it, as you may prosper. Now, next week, we're going to talk about the proportion of giving. How much are you to give? And some of you are not going to like what I'm going to say next week. So I'm going to leave you hanging, and you'll have to come back next week to to talk about how much you're to give. Let's pray.